office in 2 Chronicles. If you'd like to turn to 2 Chronicles chapter 24, Mary's going to read from verse 1 through to verse 27. Joash was seven years old when he became king, and he reigned in Jerusalem 40 years. His mother's name was Zibiah, and she was from Bathsheba. Joash did what was right in the eyes of the Lord all the years of Jehodiah the priest. Jehodiah chose two wives for him, and he had sons and daughters. Sometime later, Joash decided to restore the temple of the Lord. He called together the priests and Levites and said to them, Go to the towns of Judah and collect the money due annually from all Israel to repair the temple of your God. Do it now. But the Levites did not act at once. Therefore the king summoned Jehodiah, the chief priest, and said to him, Why haven't you required the Levites to bring in from Judah and Jerusalem the tax imposed by Moses, the servant of the Lord, and by the assembly of Israel for the tent of the testimony? Now the sons of that wicked woman, Athelia, had broken into the temple of God and had used even its sacred objects for the Baals. At the king's command, a chest was made and placed outside of the gate of the temple of the Lord. A proclamation was then issued in Judah and Jerusalem that they should bring to the Lord the tax that Moses, the servant of God, had required of Israel in the desert. All the officials and all the people brought their contributions gladly, dropping them into the chest until it was full. Whenever the chest was brought in by the Levites to the king's officials and they saw that there was a large amount of money, the royal secretary and the office of the chief priest would come and empty the chest and carry it back to its place. They did this regularly and collected a great amount of money. The king and Jehodiah gave it to the men who carried out the work required for the temple of the Lord. They hired masons and carpenters to restore the Lord's temple and also workers in iron and bronze to repair the temple. The men in charge of the work were diligent and the repairs progressed under them. They rebuilt the temple of God according to its original design and reinforced it. When they had finished, they brought the rest of the money to the king of Jehodiah and with it were made articles for the Lord's temple, articles for the service and for the burnt offerings and also dishes and other objects of gold and silver. As long as Jehodiah lived, burnt offerings were presented continually in the temple of the Lord. Now Jehodiah was old and full of years, and he died at the age of 130. He was buried with the kings in the city of David because of the good he had done in Israel for God and his temple. After the death of Jehodiah, the officials of Judah came and paid homage to the king, and he listened to them. They abandoned the temple of the Lord, the God of their fathers, and worshipped Asher poles and idols. Because of their guilt, God's anger came upon Judah and Jerusalem. Although the Lord sent prophets to the people to bring them back to him, and though they testified against them, they would not listen. Then the Spirit of God came upon Zechariah, son of Jehodiah, the priest, and he stood before the people and said, this is what God says. Why do you disobey the Lord's commands? You will not prosper because you have forsaken the Lord. He has forsaken you. 
but they plotted against him and by order of the king they stoned him to death in the courtyard of the Lord's temple. King Joash did not remember the kindness Zechariah's father Jehodia had shown him but killed his son who said as he lay dying, may the Lord see this and call you to account. At the turn of the year the army of Aram marched against Joash and it invaded Judah and Jerusalem and killed all the leaders of the people. They sent all the plunder to their king in Damascus. Although the Aramean army had come with only a few men, the Lord delivered into their hands a much larger army because Judah had forsaken the Lord, the, Lord, the God of their fathers. Judgment was executed on Joash. When the Arameans withdrew, they left Joash severely wounded. His officials conspired against him for murdering the son of Jehodiah the priest and they killed him in his bed. So he died and was buried in the city of David but not in the tombs of the kings. Those who conspired against him were Zabab son of Shimei, an Amorite woman, and Jehozabad son of Shimrith, a Moabite woman. The account of his sons the many prophecies about him and the record of the restoration of the temple of God are written in the annotations of the book of Kings. And Amaziah, his son, succeeded him as king. Yeah, no. <coughs> uh, thanks, Musos. Uh, okay, let's pray and then we'll get into God's word. <coughs> Father, thank you so much for your word. And uh, we pray that as we look at these passages from 2 Chronicles, that you'd give us really good understanding and that you'd give us hearts that are uh, uh, willing to obey. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, last week there was a funeral service in Sydney held for a uh, prominent Christian leader and it was interesting uh, reading some of the eulogies of, uh, uh, that were said about this man. Uh, someone said this uh, at the funeral and I quote, it is a blessed thing in God's sight that he is now entered into glory and all that he taught and all that he believed and all that, that he lived out in his life was looking forward to this great day when he would see his saviour face to face. End of quote. That's a nice thing to be said at your funeral, isn't it? Someone else said, and I quote, it was a pleasure to be with such a godly Christian man. Now, one of the reasons why this inspired me was because of his age. Uh, I don't... He, 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 uh, be, he trusted in God from, uh, for as long as he could remember. He grew up in a household where mum and dad taught him about Jesus. He never can recall a time when he didn't love Jesus. And that was a very long time ago because... Uh, he died at the age of 95. So for 95 years, he'd been trusting and loving and, uh, and living for the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, I've said it before, I don't think I can say it too many times, that it, it's really, it's not how you start the Christian life that counts, it's, it is how you finish it. Uh, it's whether you, it's uh, Christian life, it's not a sprint, it's a marathon, and we want to be people who, uh, who persevere in trusting in the Lord till the very end. 95 years. That's a good innings, isn't it? That's great. 
And during his long life, and indeed in each of our lives, uh, he would have uh, faced times of trials and temptations. Uh, the, the trials of perhaps being uh, ostracised because of our faith. Uh, the, the trials that sometimes comes through ill health and we, we're challenged in terms of our relationship with God. And the times of disappointments when we're disappointed by people, when things don't go the way we expected to and so on. And then there are the temptations, the temptations of pride, of lust, of power. Uh, to name just a few, these are the trials and temptations amongst many which can test how genuine our faith in Jesus is. Now, in today's section of Two Chronicles, we're going to learn about three kings of Judah whose faith was tested. And we're going to see how they, how they each went. Uh, each of them actually started off pretty good. They started off with a passion in their kingship for God. So let's have a look at their stories. Uh, if you want to open up your Bibles at 2 Chronicles, uh, we're looking at chapters 24 through to 26. And the first of these kings is uh, the one which we had read to us uh, about, and that was King Joash. Now, we met him last Sunday. Remember King Joash? He was, he was a little boy. He was seven years old when he was uh, enthroned as king, crowned as king. And that, as you might recall, was uh, due to a masterful coup to unseat his ungodly grandmother, Athaliah, who had usurped the throne. All right, so how did he go? How did Joash go? Uh, 2 Chronicles chapter 24, there is good news about Joash. Uh, let me pick it up at um, verse 2. Uh, it says, Joash did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. That's a good start, isn't it? He did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. Now, Baal worship was now rife in the southern kingdom of Judah because of the ungodliness of the kings. And because of that, when people are worshipping Baal en masse, guess who they're not worshipping? They're not worshipping God, are they? And so what actually happened was that the, the temple uh, was, was abandoned. The, the temple was, became derelict. It was left to rack and ruin. In fact, uh, people looted the temple. And some of the sacred items that were inside the temple were now being used to worship Baal. And so in verse 4, not when he was seven years old, but sometime into his kingship, Joash made a call, he made a decision uh, to sort that out and to, uh, to restore the, the temple to its former glory. Uh, in verse 4, he went about this by, he arranged a meeting with the priests and the Levites and he instructed them to go out into all of the towns and to start collecting the temple tax. Now, because you need to pay for the restoration. <laughs> now, there's nothing new in this tax, by the way. This was a, uh, the law of Moses uh, had, uh, in, uh, had uh, commanded this tax be paid. So it was not a new tax. What we discover, though, in the text is that, strangely, the priests and the Levites, um, they had to be told twice 
before they'd actually go and start collecting the tax from the towns. Um, why? Well, just hold that thought. The, the high priest at the time was Jehoiada. He was a godly man. And again, we met him last week because it was his wife who had, uh, who had snatched uh, the, uh, the, the little baby uh, prince, Joash, uh, from, the, uh, from his grandmother before he could be executed. And so uh, with uh, Jehoiada and his wife, uh, these were the people who had um, hidden, uh, uh, hidden Joash and raised him up, and, had, uh, and, and then Jehoiada was the one who had placed him on the throne. So Jehoiada's a good guy to have as the high priest, and so Joash was able to interact well with him to get the priests and the Levites out to collect the temple tax, to bring in the money, and to rebuild, to refurbish, to restore the temple. So Jehoiada the priest got the job done. And so this is why it said that King Joash had done what was right in the eyes of the Lord. And yet, in verse 25, at the end of his life, we are told that he was not buried in the tombs of the kings. I mean, Je Jehoiada, the high priest, he was buried in the tombs of the kings. That honour was bestowed on him, but it was an honour that was denied to the king himself. Now, why was that? What went wrong? Well, we need to go back to verse 2. There's a, a hint that's included there in verse 2, because I didn't read the whole of verse 2, did I? Let's read verse 2 again. Joash did what was right in the eyes of the Lord all the years... Of Jehoiada the priest. Uh, all the years of Jehoiada the priest. It turns out that Joash was more of a follower than a leader and so long as Jehoiada the priest was, was around, uh, that is when uh, he did right in the eyes of the Lord. But when the priest was gone, uh, things became different. It became apparent that Joash lacked spiritual backbone and that he could be easily charmed by his officials. Now, the officials, the leaders of the towns, uh, this is speculative, but it's possible that they were not actually terribly impressed by the idea of the temple tax um, being collected from their towns. And that might account for why it was that the priests were initially reluctant to go in to ask them for the temple tax because idol worship is actually cheaper than worshipping God. But now with Jehoiada out of the way, in verse 17, the, these civic leaders were told that they paid, they came to the king and they paid homage to him. They made him feel loved. They made him feel respected. They made him feel honoured. They made him feel important as they charmed him away from this idea of worshipping God at the temple. 
In favour, we're told, of worshipping idols and Asherah poles, which are kind of related to Baal worship. Much easier, no repentance involved, and cheaper. You don't need the temple tax. And therefore very popular. Now it takes backbone to... Uh, <coughs> to uh, it takes a bit of insight to understand when you're being charmed and some degree of backbone to stand up to it. Uh, Joash had no spiritual backbone, backbone to repel this uh, charm offensive and so he fell for it. Now, it is a great mercy of God that God sends people into our lives to challenge us when we do the wrong thing. Uh, it's a great mercy of God that he sent the prophets uh, to Judah and to Israel to rebuke even kings. And this is what happens. Have a look at verse 20. I'm going to read that out for you. Verse 20. Then the Spirit of God came upon Zechariah, son of Jehoiada the priest. He stood before the people and said, This is what God says. Why do you disobey the Lord's commands? You will not prosper because you have forsaken the, because you have forsaken the Lord. He has forsaken you. You get what you asked for. The punishment fits a crime. So how did they respond to um, this prophet who is the son of the, of the priest? Well, verse 21, they plotted against him. And by order of the king, by order of Joash, they stoned him to death in the courtyard of the Lord's temple. Now, think about this. Uh, Jehoiada's wife had rescued Joash from being executed by his grandmother. Uh, Jehoiada, with his wife, had raised Joash up and had crowned him as king. And now, in the very place, in the very spot where Jehoiada had put the crown on, on, on his head, he goes and murders the son of Jehoiada, the prophet of God. It's quite a flip, isn't it? It's really changed. It seems that he enjoyed the approval of men more, say, than the approval of God. Who, we read then in his judgment, now allowed a significantly smaller uh, army from Aaron, from Syria, to invade Judah and to defeat their significantly larger army and to bring judgment uh, upon Judah. And Joash himself came to a grisly end, uh, killed by some of his very own officials who ironically were just not impressed by the murder of God's prophet. And interestingly, the two officials named both had pagan mothers, an Ammonite and a Moabite, to his shame. So it didn't end well uh, for this particular king. I think it's worth us thinking about what, is, what, what could it take to charm you away from the uh, devotion to the Lord that you now have? What are the 
What are your weaknesses? What are the things in life that could um, be so tempting that you would move away from where you're at presently as a Christian? What would charm you? What are the things of the world that are weaknesses for you? Is it the approval of others? Is it a special relationship with someone who doesn't share your faith? Or is it the, uh, the material things of the world? What is it that charms you? Joash started very well, but he finished badly. Uh, then the crown was passed to his son, Amaziah. How did Amaziah go? Well, let's check it out. Chapter 25, verse 1. Amaziah was 25 years old when he became king and he reigned in Jerusalem 29 years. His mother's name was Jehoiadin. She was from Jerusalem. He did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. So there you go. It's a, a good start, isn't it? He did right in... But, but we're told he did not follow the Lord wholeheartedly. And so his life story is a, is a life story of, um, of flipping and flopping. It's a life story of, of compromises. Uh, let me take you through some of them. Uh, in verses 1 to 4, he, he punished the officials who had murdered his father. And we can understand that because sure his father father the king had done wrong but for people to take justice into their own hands and to murder the king well that's also wrong and so he executed these people who had murdered his father it, it wasn't about revenge because if it was about revenge he could have murdered their sons and their daughters and their wives and murdered their whole families and wipe out. But instead, he obeyed the law of Moses and he restricted the, the punishment to the men who'd actually committed the deed. And so that's good. But he wasn't wholehearted for God. Uh, we see that when he recruited his army in, in verse 6. Uh, we're told that he hired mercenaries, uh, these are soldiers for, for rent, uh, from Israel, the northern kingdom. Uh, how many did he hire? Well, we're told 100,000 fighting men. Um, what price? 100 talents of silver. So they didn't have coins in those days. It's a weight, a measure of silver. And this is bad. Uh, in verses 7 to 9, God sent another prophet to tell him why. Let's pick that up at verse 7, uh, chapter 25. But a man of God came to him and said, O king, these troops from Israel must not march with you, for the Lord is not with Israel, not with any of the people of Ephraim. Uh, even if you go and fight courageously in battle, God will overthrow you before the enemy, for God has the power to help or to overthrow. So you see why it's bad that he got these mercenaries from, from Israel? Because two reasons. Firstly, 
God was not with Israel. Uh, God, they, they were so into Baal worship, God had turned away from them. God was not with Israel. You don't want them to come and help you. But secondly, if he was concerned that he didn't have enough troops, to whom should he have turned to for help? God. So, he actually listens to the prophet. He pays the mercenaries out for what he promised them, but he sends them home. That's good, isn't it? He's responding to the prophet. Although the chronicler, chronicler adds for us that these guys were a bit, a bit angry about that. I mean, they were all geared up for a fight. They wanted to go to war with, with Judah. And now they've been sent home. They've got their silver in their pockets, but they've, they've not had a fight. So uh, they're up for a fight, so they attack uh, two towns in Judah. They slaughter 3,000 people and take all of the loot. Now, this is the fault of Amaziah. This is due to his poor judgment in the first place. Uh, these men were not men who loved God. They had no character. They were prepared to butcher innocent people. No fear of God. So, with Amaziah, it's kind of good and it's bad. And so, therefore, the word which is used of him is that he's half-hearted. Now, as Christians, there's good and bad in us, isn't there? And we, we struggle with sin because we're, we're not made perfect yet. But that doesn't necessarily mean that we're half-hearted. The, the very fact that we struggle with, with the sin in our lives uh, is evidence that we actually do have a heart for God. If we were half-hearted, we wouldn't care about this sin too much. That's different. The half-hearted person is the person who's a bit unpredictable. They're going to flip and they're going to flop. Uh, they're going to, to be unstable. They'll be blown everywhere by whatever is, is happening at the time. They don't make a wholehearted commitment to do that which is right irrespective of the circumstances. And sadly, it can come as a little surprise when... Uh, they ended up, end up making uh, ungodly life decisions which cause them to wander away from the truth and wander away from uh, a solid commitment to the gospel. Like Amaziah, hiring the mercenaries was the first sign. Now, uh, God did give him military success uh, we read about that success in verses 14 through to 16. Uh, in verse 14, when Amaziah returned from slaughtering the Edomites, he'd gone to war against the Edomites, what did he do? Well, he brought back the gods of the people of Seir and he set them up as his own gods. He bowed down to them and he burnt sacrifices to them. And so the anger of the Lord burned against Amaziah. Nice play on words there. And he sent a prophet to him who said, Why do you consult these people's gods which could not save their own people from your hand? I mean, how stupid is that? These gods failed to save their own people. Now you're worshipping them. And while he was still speaking, the king said to him, 
have we appointed you an advisor to the king? Who do you think you are? Stop. Why be struck down? There's the threat. And so the prophet stopped. But he said, I know that God has determined to destroy you because you have done this and have not listened to my counsel. God had been good to Amaziah, but Amaziah abandoned God. He threatened God's prophet. And so what happens next in this chapter is that God allowed the, uh, the king of Israel in the north to go into battle against Judah and to defeat Judah. King Amaziah himself was captured by the king of the north and he was held in captivity all his days until he too met a violent end. Verse 27. Verse 27. From the time that Amaziah turned away from following the Lord, they conspired against him in Jerusalem and he fled to Lachish. As they sent men after him to Lachish, and killed him there, he was brought back by horse and was buried with his fathers in the city of Judah. So getting depressing, isn't it? <coughs> um, <coughs> but it gets worse. Uh, because after Amaziah died, his son Uzziah was crowned king of Judah. Let's check out how he went. Chapter 26, verse 3. Uh, we read, Uzziah was 16 years old when he became king and he reigned in Jerusalem 52 years. That's a good innings. His mother's name was Jechaliah. She was from Jerusalem. He did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. So that's great. But then it says, just as his father Amaziah had done. And you think, well, this is a mixed review. Um, what does it mean by that? The this particular king, Uzziah, uh, he did seek the will of God. And therefore, God helped him. And God gave him uh, abundance in, in success. Uh, in verses 6 through to 16, we see three areas of life where he was granted success. Uh, he was granted success on the battlefield. Uh, secondly, he was granted agricultural success. He liked farming and God blessed his farming efforts. And thirdly, uh, he was blessed with a very large and a very well-equipped army. Let me give you a snapshot of the army. Uh, chapter 26, verse 15. Um, just have a look at that. It, it reads... In Jerusalem, he made machines designed by skillful men for use on the towers and on the corner defences to shoot arrows and hurl large stones. His fame spread far and wide, for he was greatly helped until he became powerful. Now, God's blessing... Uh, in our lives should lead us to uh, to humble gratitude for what he's done for us 
Yet, when you're in a position of strength, the, the great temptation is, is, is pride. Uh, and to, to forget about uh, the true source of your strength and to consider yourself to be the source of your strength and your success. Um, more than that, when you're in a position of uh, strength and success, the temptation is to think that you are the boss, that you're in charge, that you answer to nobody. Like Isaiah, who in verse 16 took it upon himself to enter into the temple of the Lord and to approach the, the altar of the Lord in order to burn incense. Now, whose job is that, by the way? It's the job of the, the priests, isn't it? It's a, the, the sole job of the priests because this is not a thing about national leadership. This is a thing about mediating between God and man, representing God. So this is the function of the priest. However, Uzziah enters into the temple to burn incense at the altar. Why would he do that? Well, he's thinking, I'm king. I can do whatever I want. Uh, he wanted to add to the function of king the role of priest. Now, the word courageous gets thrown about a bit. Um, I don't think a person is courageous when they just, they do something dangerous and they're successful at it because they're just stupid. You know, <coughs> that's not courage, is it? Uh, what is courage? Courage is when you see the danger, when you know the danger, when you fear the danger, but you go ahead and do it anyway because it's the right thing to do. That's courage, isn't it? That's true courage. And the word courage or courageous in this text is rightly applied to the 81 priests who followed King Uzziah into the temple uh, to challenge him, to stand up to him, to say to him, you're doing wrong. That's courageous. Because the very nature of pride is that, you see, when you challenge a person, when a person who's humble does the wrong thing and you go to speak to them about it, you can expect a humble response, can't you? But when the very nature of the problem, the very thing which is causing them to do that which is wrong is pride, thinking more highly of themselves than they ought to, and doing so from a position of power and authority and strength, then to go and challenge that person, you can expect the pride to be wounded. Jesus talks about uh, not throwing your pearls. If you throw your pearls before swine, they're going to attack you. And this is why these 81 priests are defined as being courageous because they knew the danger. They knew that the king could, could execute them, but they did it anyway because it was the right thing to do for the sake of the holiness of God's temple. They risked their lives 
by rebuking the king. Now, in the Old Testament, there's one particular type of person who you're not likely to find anywhere near the temple. And that's the person who's suffering from leprosy. If you were a leper, you had to live outside of the city. If you were a leper, you couldn't go anywhere near other people. If you were a leper, you had to call out, leper, leper, so that people could flee before. So how did God remove Uzziah from the temple? Chapter 26, verse 19. Uzziah, who had a censer in his hand, ready to burn incense, became angry. While he was raging at the priests in their presence before the incense altar in the Lord's temple, leprosy broke out on his forehead. And when Azariah, the chief priest, and all the other priests looked at him, they saw that he had leprosy on his forehead, so they hurried him out. Indeed, he was eager to leave because the Lord had afflicted him. King Uzziah had leprosy until the day he died. He lived in a separate house, leprous, and excluded from the temple of the Lord. Jotham, his son, had charge of the palace and governed the people of the land. How do you get a proud, arrogant king out of a place where he shouldn't be? Strike him with leprosy. Notice he couldn't wait to get out. <laughs> couldn't wait to leave. Uzziah wanted more than that which was rightfully his, and as a result, everything that he had was taken away. When he died, we're told that, that, that they didn't bury him with his ancestors, they buried him near his ancestors because he was an unclean leper. So there you have it, folks. <clears throat> One king was easily charmed, another king was half-hearted, and another king became proud. Um, I, I've lived long enough now as a Christian to, to know uh, very dear friends with whom I have once enjoyed uh, very rich times of Christian fellowship, but who no longer walk with the Lord. And it's interesting as I reflect on these friends and my relationship with them, that um, there are just a, a small number a very small number who would say that the reason that they no longer walk with the Lord is because they no longer believe the truth of the gospel. And sometimes uh, I take it as an underlying reason for that. There are other friends who, they don't want to talk to me about it. They, don't, they refuse to enter into the conversation because they know and I know and God knows that there is actually an area of sin in their life that they've embraced sin and they don't want to change um, then there are others and you may know people like this yourself who say look I still believe I haven't lost my faith or anything like that uh, it's just that I'm a bit too busy these days with work with the family with building the house with this with the other with travel and but don't worry about me I, I still believe when there is every reason to be worried and to pray. What about your faith? And I take it that 
do you want to finish well? Uh, do you want to finish standing firm with a wholehearted and humble devotion to the Lord? Well, these kings, they serve as a, as a warning to us because they had experienced God's blessing. They did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, but they turned away. And you and I, we're actually in a better position than they are because these guys, these were kings in the line of David, but we know the king who is the fulfilment of the Davidic dynasty. We know the one uh, in whom, the descendant of David, in whom all of God's promises and plans have been fulfilled. And he died for our sins and he rose again. So we're in a better position than them. And it, that actually helps us uh, in terms of our perseverance uh, to the end. Uh, because how is it that we can repel the charm of, of this world? Um, how is it that we can uh, deal with the half-heartedness, the complacency in our hearts? How is it that we can deal with the temptations of pride? Um, recently, I think most of us, if not all of us, were gripped, were we not, by the um, drama that, that, that was unfolding in northern Thailand. Remember that? The mountains there around Chiang Rai province, and caves and a team of uh, footballers, teenage guys who, with their coach, went caving one day and got deep into the cave network and they were trapped as, as water had entered, as water filled the channels and there they were, uh, stuck. They could, they could breathe, but they couldn't get out because the channels were filled with water. And we all followed. The whole world was watching the, the, the audacious plan to, to rescue these, uh, these trapped uh, teenagers. Uh, did you rejoice? In, in our household, we were rejoicing. Uh, as each boy was brought out and, and when they finally said that the last boy had been saved. It was a great moment. Well, imagine if a bit later on one of those boys uh, said, you know what, um, and said without care or without proper forethought, said, uh, I want to go caving again. I want to go back into the cave. We might wonder, did he realise that a man lost his life to save him? We might wonder what that sacrifice meant to him. Because when you know that a sacrifice has been paid for you, you don't want to go back to where you came from. How much more shall we value God's mercy in Christ's death for us is the very reason why we would want to persevere in faithfulness 
to the end. Let's pray. Mm. Father, thank you so much for your, your kindness and your mercy, uh, for the great blessing that we have, uh, particularly in Christ Jesus. And Father in heaven, uh, we do pray that you would grant uh, by your grace that we would be men and women who continually reflect on what Christ has done for us and that our response uh, would be a, uh, a response of, uh, of wholehearted, humble commitment to you uh, all our days. This we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.